Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. studio it's because spectrum has removed my wi-fi for the last four days which was kind of a nightmare but honestly it wasn't too bad because i was kind of used to not having internet for a few days as i was up in the woods camping and that trip honestly i recommend it i recommend that you all go camping alone at least once in your life it's an interesting experience you just kind of get to sit alone with your thoughts you can read books for hours like i i was able to read for a very long time for the first time in a really long time which is wonderful i got to sit by the river and hang out for a number of hours it was a good time so i really strongly recommend it and uh i i am going to be in new york uh first week of september i'll be doing a few shows there i will be announcing that very soon i'm also going to be doing a few shows in North Carolina. So I will be definitely uh, mentioning some show dates around that. Let's see. So today I'm going to be talking about the show. Oh, this is one of my favorite shows of all time. Of all time. I watched this show maybe like eight or nine times, probably 10 times. The show is called It's Okay, That's Love or Kinchana Sarangia. And it was written by one of my favorite writers, No Hee-kyung. I believe I talked about Nohee Young before, right? I mean, she's the writer who wrote the show Live, which I talked about. Um, did I talk about any other shows by her here? I don't think so. I guess not. Well, that's exciting. I get to talk about a lot of her shows now. I mean, there are a few shows that I want to talk about later, like Dear My Friends. I want to talk about That Winter, The Wind Blows, which was not very good. Uh, I want to talk about Worlds Within. So there are a lot of shows that I want to talk about. Um, written by her, and I will eventually. Uh, this show stars Cho in and Kong Hyo-jin, who are just amazing, amazing, amazing actors. And they have brilliant chemistry on this show, okay? Uh, so the premise is that uh, Chang Jae-yeol, played by Cho in is this best-selling thriller novelist, and he is also a radio DJ and a celebrity, but he has OCD. He also has schizophrenia, but we don't know about that until way later. And then the, the female protagonist is played by Kong Hyo-jin, and she plays Ji hye who is a, a psychiatrist working at a major university hospital in Seoul. And she is a first-year resident, so she is still kind of learning on her way to developing and becoming a great doctor, right? And she has a um, anxiety disorder around sex. So when she was very young, she saw her mother um, having an affair. And so she associates sex with negativity, with bad things. And um, she has this major phobia around sex. So she is like almost 30 she's about 30 years old and she's still a virgin and she is not able to um 
be intimate, physically intimate with any man. That doesn't mean that she doesn't date men. She's a very beautiful and talented and fun young woman. So she does have a lot of boyfriends, but all of them had to be kept at bay. All of them had to go through this discussion with her. And honestly, I think that's sort of a good thing to have, right? Like if a woman is not ready to have sex with somebody, she should be able to negotiate that with her partner, okay? Like I wish I had known that when I was younger, right? When I was younger, like I was really very much pressured into having sex with um, boyfriends and you know, like that creates a lot of issues when you're older. I think this show has a good uh, inner text around discussions of consent as a K-drama. So I think that's a big plus. Sang Dong-il uh, plays Cho Dong-min. He's sort of a mentor figure to Ji Hye-soo's character. And I could tell that Noh Hee-kyung, the writer, loves Sang Dong-il, right? Like he is in so many of her shows. And uh, like I said, a lot of writers, they have this close relationship with some actors and they'll continue to use them over and over again in their series. And I really love that they have this kind of relationship. And I love that South Korean TV writers have this kind of power. Yi Gwangsu, the beloved Yi Gwangsu, is also on this show. Yi Gwangsu is not a comedian. He is a actor. He's an actor, okay? Uh, and he plays somebody with Tourette syndrome. Okay, so that's his struggle, that's his thing, and he's very much a prominent figure on this show. And Do Kyungsu plays Han Gangwoo. Okay, Do Kyungsu, I think you all know him. He's a K-pop singer and actor, right? He also goes by Do or Do. <laughs> um, but he was in the sh he was in that um, that group EXO, right? Everybody knows who EXO is. I think. Do Kyungsu is an amazing actor. He's very talented. He was really good in this show. And Do Kyungsu plays Chang Jae-yeol's um, hallucination. So Chang Jae-yeol has schizophrenia and he hallucinates this figure who is supposed to be Chang Jae-yeol's younger self and projection and the whole series is sort of running on on this conflict, right? This tension. Like Chang Jae-yeol has schizophrenia. Most of the people around him, the people who love him, don't know that he has schizophrenia. And then this comes to the fore later on. And then this becomes a big hurdle for everybody, right? I feel like this show did an excellent job at addressing the issue of mental disability and mental disorder. South Korea is very much behind when it comes to normalizing mental disability and mental disorders. I feel like the United States is also somewhat behind when it comes to that, but relative to South Korea, they are better at it. Me living in Los Angeles, this is a bit of a bubble for me, right? I'm in the entertainment industry. Um, I am very much open about me and my therapy sessions, right? Like I definitely have mental disorders. I live with depression and anxiety. I also live with complex PTSD. And um, that is the reason why I see a therapist. That is the reason why I have all these exercises and things that I do in order to keep them maintained, keep myself balanced, keep myself healthy. And the fact is, guys, nobody, nobody, not a single person on earth is exempt from some kind of mental disorder or disability. All of us have it, all right? Most of us have general anxiety. Most of us have some element of depression, okay? And the only way to be able to cope with them and manage them better is once we acknowledge that we have them and that we go and seek help and then we figure out a way to deal with it. 
there's definitely a lot of resistance when it comes to mental disability and disorders, especially among the Asian American community. I feel like that really needs to be addressed, okay? Being an immigrant, you're just gonna come, like the default is that you're gonna have some depression and anxiety, all right? You're gonna have some issues, okay? So I, I feel like a lot of this stuff needs to be talked about more. I feel like they need to be normalized and I think It's Okay, That's Love is an excellent Korean drama in getting us talking about these things. The soundtrack on this show is really, really good, okay? So you have uh, Davichi, who is a two-woman group, and they they sing ballads, and the song is really, really amazing. Yunmire has an excellent song on this show, and... Uh, it's a it's a great song, so I, I really strongly recommend the soundtrack. All the songs on this show, they were all really good. So if you want to look it up on Spotify and play it, or if you want to look it up on YouTube and play it, yeah, get down with some of the music. It's really, really good. My guest for today is Connor Shin. Connor Shin is a Korean-American SoCal-based comedian, writer, actor. They are non-gender binary. They are queer. They are pansexual. They are amazing i love connor because they're hilarious first of all like whenever i hang out with them like they crack me up um i love connor because you know they're a very passionate person they care about their community they have you know they've done some community activism which i participated in especially back in the spring of this year um they are a great writer they are generous with their time when it comes to other comics who want to come to them with questions. They're very generous. I really enjoyed this conversation with Connor. Uh, Connor is also the writer of the Harley Quinn series, which you can find on, I believe, HBO Max. So let's talk to Connor Shin. Do you have like a, a morning ritual when you wake up? Something you do daily? Um, I wash my face. And I have coffee, mm-hmm. and that's about the only consistent thing I do. That's pretty good. Washing yeah. face. Yeah. Coffee. Yeah. And then, and then, what do you do? Do you think about like, oh, like, I don't know, what did you do this morning? Were you like, oh, I'm gonna do something? Or... Um, I had. I have a bunch of fruit that's about to go bad, so I was trying to finish that off. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks because I keep doing that, and you know how when fruit goes bad, it gets like that weird spicy flavor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so. Mm. Yeah, it gets like fermented. Yeah. Um, usually, I'll just like throw it in a smoothie, you know? Yeah, that's what I should probably do, but. Yeah. A good smoothie maker changes everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mm-hmm. should just do that with the rest of my fruit. Mm-hmm. Any other plans? Other than this. Uh, I have a skate lesson at six. Nice. Yeah. Back at a- back at Venice? No, no, it's in Alhambra. Oh wow. And I'm having oh well, I always have anxiety about my skate lessons, but I'm just like I feel like I got worse since I last saw him. Huh, why? Because I, I fell really hard a bunch of times. And yeah. I got a new board, because I got a new board, and then, like, um, now I'm, like, timid on the board. Yeah, because of the falling. Yeah, and I'm even then, I'm not completely healed from all my injuries. 
Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm like, I have a, a bunch of explaining to do when I see him. I'll be like, listen, it's going to seem like I got worse. And it's because I did. <laughs> it's cause, um, Is it possible to get worse if you've been writing more? But I'm and... not, I'm, I'm like more timid now because I ate it so hard so many times. I think being timid is different from getting worse though, you know? Yeah, but I just, I don't have the gusto that I used to. And today I specifically said, well, when I asked him for another lesson, I was like, can you teach me how to ollie? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just going to be practicing. I think we're just going to be practicing jumping today. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I'm, there's, there's no way I'm not going to eat it today. So I'm just like, you're bracing yourself. Yeah. I mean, I have pads and shit, but it's just, you, you can, it, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt when you fall. It just means, yeah. Yeah. And you could always fall at a weird angle. And, and then on tomorrow morning, I'm supposed to drive to Reno. Wow. It's like, like an eight hour drive. Why? I'm just going to visit my cousin who lives there. Okay. And just to chill. And, yeah. Um, I've never made a, a drive that far by myself before. Uh-huh. And, yes. Um, but the thing is, everyone's, like, nervous for me, but I'm, like, I was looking forward to that part. I'm looking forward to you doing this, too. Because I, I think I, I really want to yeah. go on a road trip. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking mm-hmm. do it. I'm, like, excited for you. It's a beautiful drive, you know, Nevada. Yeah, so I'm just like, am I the only one that's excited about this? I'm excited for you. I'm on board. Everyone's like, my mom is like, just take a plane. I'll pay for it. And I'm like, that's not. First of all, I don't don't want to get on a plane right now. Yeah. And second, I'm like, but I I wanted to go on a road trip. Yeah. That's the whole idea. Yeah, this this whole trip is going to be mostly road trip. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be you driving. And you thinking, and you seeing things, and processing things, and mm-hmm. getting new inspiration. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome. I'm happy that you're gonna do it. Yeah. You know, I like this. I like this uh, Connor 2.0, <laughs> the one that's um, doing things in the fear of, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, in the face of fear. Right? Like yeah. in the face of anxiety, like you're going to skate, you're going to skateboard, you're going to do more lessons, you're going to expand your repertoire and learn how to jump today and Ollie. Yeah. You're going to go on this road trip, which you've never done for this long, but you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's like think, you're expanding. Yeah. I think I just, I'm ready to try to push my limits a little bit. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. I'm like kind of on a similar path, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I still like on occasion, I was still thinking back to like just Monday, <laughs> just a few days ago when you and I were hanging out, you know, outside in K-Town, mm-hmm. just killing time. And, you know, you're just like skateboarding and like it was around 630, between 630 and 7. So like the sun was starting to go down but not quite it felt like late afternoon light you know mm-hmm. and it felt like that after school hour between three and four when when i was a kid and like you know just kind of like like latchkey kids like when they wait for their parent to pick them up or mm-hmm. 
you know, just killing some time like outside of school, you know, like mm-hmm. just talking to a friend, just enjoying the afternoon, like mm-hmm. that felt so nice, you know. I was like, this is such a great feeling. Like I want to hang on to this moment, this feeling, this mood, this atmosphere, you know. And I think adding more of those moments into the life to integrate that more into our adult life helps us go and take on these um, so-called trepidations, these so-called challenges, which are really not. They're really just us wanting to be out there and explore, right? Being adventurous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was great because it was so not planned. Yes. And we were like, we were literally just waiting for an open mic to start. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just something about having no expectations, but just really like being fully present. Mm-hmm. Those are, I feel like those are always the best hangs. Yes, they are. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, for instance, I was going to the beach last week with my friend and she was like, I have a show at eight. So we have to leave by six. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, all right. But I, I just, I didn't like that feeling. Like there's there's this, you know, hard deadline, like a hard out, mm-hmm. you know? Cause like going to the beach already takes so much and you have to like gather yeah. a bunch of shit and you have to drive out there. And oh, I know. <laughs> but then it's like, oh fuck, we just unpacked everything. I could pack it all in. Da, da, da. I, I usually like having some room Mm-hmm. for dilly-dallying you know mm-hmm. like even yeah. going to the airport like I like having extra time so that I don't feel rushed like I like the dilly-dally moments you know like mm-hmm. yeah yeah I'm not the yeah I'm usually not the type of person that has like a very keep it cutting it close schedule because I mm. hate, I hate rushing yes I hate, I hate arriving just on time that, mm. freak, that always freaks me out mm. and I hate running late so I always like give myself some space why do you hate why do you hate getting there on time well because it it's it gives me anxiety if i'm not there early because i'm like i'm like i just barely made it Mm -hmm. i hate that shit Mm. i get it from my mom it's so annoying well i usually get to places early or right on time that's sort of my thing like i Mm -hmm. hate being late to things too and i hate keeping people waiting the reason why i hate that is because i hate it when people are late like when people are late, I judge them. Oh yeah. So that's why I hate it when people are late. That's a, that's a deal breaker for me. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why is that? Why is that a like an offense? It's one thing if someone does it once, like shit yeah. happens. I get it. Sure. If it, yeah. If this is like a regular thing for them, mm, like I've a pattern. Cut, I've cut off friendships. I. Mm-hmm ended relationships or I threatened mm-hmm. to end relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's so it's not just a pet peeve because mm. like someone like a lot of things are pet peeves yeah but the thing is like keeping someone late it's mm-hmm. so disrespectful and passive aggressive hmm and, and it, for me it always reads as selfish it's just being like my time is more important than yours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it has it has nothing to do with being busy Mm. Like, do we know anyone that isn't busy? Right. Like, and it's always the same dumb shit. Like, they're they're not organized. Uh, they couldn't make a decision on something. 
Mm-hmm. And they're always late for the, if you break, if you really break it down, they're always late for the dumbest reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, people that are habitually late, if you get to know them, their whole family is like that. Yeah. It's like a, it's almost like a disorder. Like yeah. uh, chronic lateness is like a disorder. There are some people who just can't help but always be late. It's yeah. like a, the, their wiring is off. Like I dated somebody like that. It was a nightmare. We dated for two years and mm-hmm. he was he was perpetually late. Like I'm not mm-hmm. saying 15 minutes, not even an hour. I'm talking like two hours. He'd be late like minimum hour, hour and a half, two hours. And every time we met up, the date would start out with me angry at him mm-hmm. and him feeling like guilty and ashamed. And I was just like, it doesn't have to be like this. You could just be on time. Mm-hmm. But he, for him, it was just like an impossibility. Like he mm-hmm. just didn't know how not to be late. Yeah. And uh, like on the one hand, I try to be open-minded and compassionate about everybody's different sense of time because everybody has a diff- their own sense of time. That's just how it is. Like there mm-hmm. is no objective time. There is one that we live by in society, mm-hmm. but that doesn't... Uh, for them, it th- that doesn't dictate their lives. I wish I had some of that ability, to be honest, which I don't have. But um, I, I agree with you that it feels like they don't respect my time and they don't respect me. Um, and it does feel selfish. But like, I do try to think like, okay, it's not personal. They're not, this isn't like a personal attack. I try yeah. my best to think that way. It yeah. doesn't always work. The root, the, the default feeling is I feel disrespected. Mm-hmm. I feel neglected. I feel ignored. I feel, you know, like all those shitty things, but yeah. it it's also, rough. It always has, it fucks everything up because it always has a good <laughs> reaction. Yeah. They're late. Now we're late. We're going to be uh, late to that thing, and then right. that next thing's going to be late. And yeah. then it's like, it's like dominoes, and I'm just right. like, oh, just, can just this once, can you get your shit in gear? Yeah. And it's almost like we can't plan. Like, don't plan an event if you're going to meet with this person, right? Well, like the, 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 These people, I noticed, people yeah. that are habitually late, they get pissed off if you try to plan shit. Yeah. They're they don't whole, like the rigidity. Yeah. Mm-mm. Like, if it's something, like, a week or a month in advance, they're like, absolutely not. It has to be, like, as yeah. it's happening. As uh-huh. It's happening. Like, yeah. I think, I think planning something that has, like, a hard deadline freaks them out so much. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I'm just, like, because I'm the type of person where, like, if it's 10.45 p.m. Mm-hmm. on a Saturday and I'm at home. Yeah. And someone texts me, be like, hey, do you want to, we're going to go to, we're about to go to this club, do you want to go? I'd be like, fuck no. I need mm-hmm. at least an hour to mentally prepare that I'm going somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And just hardcore introvert right here. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing is, I actually do really like going out. Yeah. But yes. I, I just need some time to process it. Mm-hmm. And I need time to recover from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you prepare for that, like a social event? Um. Someone tells me about it. Mm-hmm. Um. I ask questions like, how dressy is it going to be? What's the <laughs> tone going to be? What are we going to mm. be doing? What's, oh, a bunch of random things that give me anxiety or um, is there going to be parking? 
Right. That's a big one. Parking. Is there going to be a cover? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be crowded? Mm-hmm. Um, is it going to be expensive? Is there going to be a lot of standing? I'm a lazy person, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's like a white people thing to, to stand around at parties. Like Koreans never stand around. They always sit. Or <laughs> just have an event where we're like, Huh, so we're just we're just standing this whole time. <laughs> yeah, they stand around and walk around the whole night. I'm like, this is a nightmare. Yeah, I hate it. <laughs> well, guess what, Grace? The people that don't take their shoes off to go inside, like stand around a party. <laughs> I know, and they're yeah, but it's like you could like talk to everybody. And I'm like, yeah, but what if you don't want to? Like, I don't want to talk to everybody. You could have chairs and talk to people. <laughs> yeah. Shit. I was at an Olive Garden dinner. Yeah. It was like one of them long tables. The right. chairs at Olive Garden have wheels on the bottom. I wheeled myself to the other side of the table to talk to people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. See, you know how to get creative if and when need be. Yeah. That, and that I didn't have to be standing in flats for three hours to do that. No. Just, and I, I just I get filled with resentment because also on top of that, well, I don't wear high heels anymore. Mm-hmm. But female shoes are not comfortable. They're even the, the worst. Yeah. Even the casual ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, have you seen that store, uh, Aldo or some shit? Yeah. The one that has sandals. Uh huh. That are about like this thin. Uh huh. With and they're totally flat on the inside. Mm. I'm. Why? It's not built for comfort. It's built for aesthetics. You know, now that you say it, I haven't worn heels in a really long time, too. Like, almost two years. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah. Is it because of quarantine or is it because of personal? I think quarantine has a lot to do with it. But, you know, like, before, when I used to go up on stage, I used to wear heels and full makeup, full blowout. I used to wear skirts. I used to wear dresses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Always heels. Now, I... There are days when I go up on stage without any makeup. I never wear heels when I go up on stage now. Mm-hmm. I always wear um, comfortable sneakers. I, I usually wear like Air Force Ones because there's like a lot of support there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, like increasingly I've been dressing more like streetwear. Like I wear sweatpants. I wear t-shirts. I wear I wear like weird like uh, linen pants, <laughs> cotton pants that are like poofy and wavy. You have the best pants. I was going to ask you, where'd you get those pants the other day? I got those from Woodstock in New York at uh, like a Tibetan shop. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, where the hell did you even get those? I think if you just look up any like Tibetan, you know, outlet, you'll find them. And well, they're all it, it, it cotton. It occurred to me to look up a Tibetan outlet. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like like just a random thing. Like my friend was uh, up in Woodstock for some kind of writer's retreat. I happened to be in upstate New York at the time visiting two other people. So I stopped to see her and we were just kind of wandering around Woodstock and there was this Tibetan shop owned by a Tibetan woman. And I was just like, you know, you hit the jackpot by having a shop here where all the whites are into Tibetan Buddhist shit. She's like, I know. She's like, I know. And I bought two pants from her, and one of them was that. Yeah, so comfy. I bet. Comfort is important. Comfort first. I think that's the other thing. It's like we're shedding our heels. We're shedding our tight-fitting clothes. We're wearing things that f- help us feel like ourselves, where we don't have to hide who we are. 
right? Because that's always the pressure. It's like, why why are women always told you have to lose weight? It's like, well, the clothes are shaped impossibly. It's like you have to be stupid skinny in order to wear those clothes to make them look, quote unquote, flattering, to make them work. It's like, well, what if I don't want to reshape myself to conform to your clothes? How about I go buy clothes that don't give a shit about any kind of shape or conformity or any or put any demand on my body how about i do that and i think yeah. i'm just kind of intuitively doing that mm-hmm. yeah yeah i didn't know this is so sad i didn't know until like a few years ago that thick legs could look good <laughs> yeah. I, I always thought in order to have pretty legs they had to be like long thin cult like legs right but mm-hmm. it wasn't until i started seeing like dancers and female athletes who had like these thick yes surfer girl legs and yes like they look amazing yes yes yeah i think seeing that helps Mm -hmm. yeah i I think athletes are a good example like athletes have all different shapes of bodies and sizes and they're athletes yeah it's about performance function um there is an aesthetic quality to it too like i think you know athletes are beautiful people like they're beautiful beings uh, but, you know, athletes are different from models. And the mm-hmm. ones that advertise clothing to us are these models who, yeah, their bodies are just completely different from my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think it's interesting, like, because if you look at the model body and yeah. the, the Olympics, right. there's not all the different events at the Olympics, not a single one. Mm-hmm. would a model body have been practical for exactly except mm-hmm. for maybe like archery or some shit <laughs> right right or that um what's that one where you shoot a gun and i don't know shooting a gun i is it range or something but yeah that sounds yeah. right uh-huh yeah but i'm like maybe you could have a model body but everyone else i'm like you're not gonna make it <laughs> you're not gonna yeah make it. yeah um and isn't it funny how when we look at athletes, their bodies are all different shapes and sizes and they're athletes. So we know that they care about health and functionality and performance, whereas models, they're very skinny for the most part. And we attribute thinness to health. Mm-hmm. We attribute skinniness to health. And it's mm-hmm. like a lot of those models live very unhealthy lives in order to achieve that body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's going on? I hear like a baby rattle. Is there a child? Well, my cat is. He found his um, one of his favorite rattle toys. Sorry. Oh, uh, uh, okay. It's a cat. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. I was cleaning under the couch and they shoved a bunch of their toys underneath it. And then now they're finding them. Yeah, and they're just like, oh, I loved how loud this thing was. <laughs> Dude, I saw this amazing um, thing. On, I think it was Instagram or something where it was just text and it said um, we're not asking uh, people to like demonize skinny people we're mm. asking people to stop putting them I- idolizing them right like because it's not about like uh, skinny people are bad it's just like stop saying that's the ideal body type because hmm. it's actually not Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not practical to ask for something that's not even average. Right. 
And the reality is some people are just heavier. Yeah. I mean, do you, it's not a coincidence that they, they usually have come from heavier families. Exactly. Yeah. Just different body structure, muscles, different bone structure, mm -hmm. different DNA, different environment, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm taller than my mom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, different environment, different diet, different... I'm shorter than my mom. Yeah. 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 It's just different food, different everything. Like, it, it just really depends. I'm gonna grab that rattle from him. It's alright. Naughty little baby. <laughs> Naughty little baby. Is that the, the first cat that comes out first when you have guests over no this is the one that never comes out oh interesting so okay it's just when they feel safe then they'll just like play with their toys and be their mm -hmm. freak selves i, I like mm -hmm. that yeah. yeah let me ask you about um showbiz stuff because you know you're like in it when, like, when and how did you get started in comedy? Like, was it sketch first, improv first, stand-up first? Like, what came first? Um, I tried stand-up first because um, I, originally I was like, oh, I'm just going to get into comedy writing because I didn't think anyone would take me. Mm. <laughs> so I was, I, I was like, okay, I'll try doing some stand-up. In and Orange County or in L.A.? I'm not from Orange County. I'm actually from uh, San Gabriel Valley, Hacienda Heights. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that's more east. Got it. I, 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 I did drive all the way out to L.A. to try to do open mics. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, I was dating someone that lived in Silver Lake at the time. Okay. So I was, like, so nervous to do it. And then... Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, but then later I found out that I did some Googling and a lot of my favorite comedic actors and writers also did improv. So mm. I was like, okay, let me try improv. Mm. And then I fell in love with it. It was so much easier to find friends. Where'd you do improv? Um, I took improv classes at UCB okay. and Groundlings. I think at the same time too, which was wow. I don't recommend. I don't recommend. You go hard when when you feel determined to do something. You go hard. Oh, I go all in. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm noticing. Yeah, so okay, so you did Groundlings and UCB. Mm -hmm. Made a lot yeah. of friends. Mm -hmm. Made friends, and then I took foot classes, and then I started going to indie shows. Started going into indie practice groups. Mm -hmm. And then slowly started being like, oh, I should try to do sketch. Mm. And so I started writing sketch. And um, after many, well, not that many, years of struggling, I guess, I got onto a UCB sketch team. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I was on I was on a team for like four years, mm -hmm. and not the same team, like three different teams. But like uh, afterwards, I was like, okay, I feel like now is a good time to move on, mm -hmm. and I was ready to be like either start working or start directing or start teaching. Mm -hmm. So um, throughout this whole time, though, I'm still auditioning and stuff. So I actually scored a few parts during this. Mm -hmm. Which uh, ones? Well, I did a commercial, and then my big thing was that I got um, in a I got a part in a Lake Bell movie. Mm. I do until I don't, mm. which was really big for me because I had never done. I think that was also my first like SAG thing too. Mm. Yeah, Lake Bell's huge. I love Lake Bell. Yeah, oh, she's she's amazing, and it was amazing. It was an it was a great first experience because it was the best set. And it's like an indie production, right? It's like yeah, it was an indie production. So scale wise, it's more comfortable for somebody mm -hmm. to just start out into. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it had a huge cast. Mm hmm. And, um, after that, I started getting other bit parts on like on TV and stuff. Yeah. Like, um, Will and Grace. Uh, I had a bit part on Superstore, but that scene got cut, I found out. Mm. And then I got a scene in, um, uh, just small things here and there. Mm hmm. Um, the ball started rolling. Yeah. And the acting thing actually helped me get noticed for writing. Interesting. Yeah, so that's why when people are like, how do I get into writing or whatever, I'm like, there's no one way to do it. Right. Um, I really do feel like acting helped me get note. I don't think I would have a writing job if it wasn't for acting. Hmm, interesting. Because, I mean, writers, especially at UCB, I feel like they don't stand out as much as the performers. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I would get stage time occasionally or I would get screen time that helped me stand out yeah so i think that absolutely helped for sure and yeah so i'm i mean i'm still open to everything like um i'm as you know i'm trying to do stand-up again mm -hmm. but i'm i mean i'm also still auditioning mm -hmm. uh, i'm supposed to uh i mean i got staffed a few times on shows uh, mm -hmm. I, this year I did uh, Harley Quinn season three, yeah, animated series. Yeah, it's a big one. Uh, ho hopefully season four will start soon. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like I'm all over the place. So. I think that's how it goes for comedians. It's like we're like very malleable creatures, you know. I mean, we have to be. It's like mm -hmm. if we're called to act, we gotta. If we're called to write, we gotta. If we're called to direct, we gotta. If we're called to produce, we gotta. Mm -hmm. If we're called to just improvise a bunch of lines we gotta mm -hmm. and um yeah i think you're right when you say there's no one way to do it there's no one way to do the thing that you want to do it's just mm -hmm. you got to be open to all of the things that surround the thing that you want to do right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you say acting is the thing that got you into it because i'm maybe this is something I need to get over. I'm trying to get over like little fears of mine. Like I have, like I've been telling myself since like 
a month ago. I was like, I'm going to try and be fearless. I'm going to try to get over my fears. How do I do that? And I've been just sort of working through a lot of that stuff, those questions. And like yesterday, for instance, I was like, I want to go camping. Like I live in fucking California. Everywhere around me is just like a few hours and that it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I can do it. I've done it before. I can do it. I can do it alone. So, you know, I went out and I got like a few camping supplies today and I booked a place like for this Sunday to Monday, you know, just to do it. Small steps, right? That's and it's like, though. yeah, it's big. It's big in that the ball is starting to, you know, starting to roll. Mm-hmm. But it's like small steps, like almost kind of tricking myself into it, right? But the reason why acting freaks me out is because I have many actor friends. I mean, we all have many actor friends. The ones who are just like committed to acting, like being an actor. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are very difficult for me to be around because they're always strung out. Like they're always concerned about everybody else's opinion. They're always, you know, fearing rejection and that and that's the thing that they have to deal with on a daily basis rejection because mm-hmm. they do so many auditions and get so many rejections and they of course have to like alleviate that through self-practice self-care healing methods so they're into all kinds of hokey shit mm-hmm. not to say that I'm, i don't have my own share of hokey shit i have plenty of it mm-hmm. but it's like they're locked in this what seems to me like a vicious cycle of putting themselves out there getting wounded and then trying to self-heal or self-medicate and it's just like that constant constant and i i fear that i fear getting sucked into that loop i mean it makes sense why i know there's that stereotype of like actors are a nightmare but it's it makes sense because like the few times whenever i start to do something actorly or even like start to audition or stuff like that it's a miserable process because you have to make yourself so so vulnerable Mm. and also win approval Mm -hmm. and so it it nothing is in your control which is Mm -hmm. so shitty because the thing with stand-up like you can make yourself vulnerable but you're also the writer and editor and director exactly like if you don't like something you can change it Mm -hmm. if you don't like how something's going you can change it but if Mm -hmm. you're an actor you, you don't do the you you have to do the lines written for you. You have to mm-hmm. do it a certain way. And yep. if people don't like it, then fuck you. It's just, right, right. And that's just, for people, that's their whole life. I'm like, oh, man, that sounds like a nightmare. Awful, yeah. You yeah. Know, you're already, like, a fragile person. Like, I'm sure. <laughs> like, because I feel like I'm a pretty sensitive person. So I think mm-hmm. I never do just straight acting. Like, I'd always be like, I'm still going to write and try to make my own shit because... Right. I don't want to feel like, you know, this disposable thing that people can either love or hate. Yeah. 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 To have some sense of creative agency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like with acting, it's your body, right? It's your Mm -hmm. body. It's your, it's like, yeah, it's your fucking body. It's your voice. It's your facial expressions. It's your emotions. It's a lot. And, 
I don't know, like, that's why I really admire actors, honestly, because I feel like they're doing something I don't think I have the wherewithal to really do. I know I want to. There's a part of me that really wants to. I know that I can be good at it. I know that I am good at it. I have acted before, and I know I have it. It's just, it's the the grind that really puts me off. The grind and, like, the mental state that that it puts you in, as you mentioned. Well, I think it's yeah. so funny that you, of all people, would say that considering you're a stand-up. Like, if, <laughs> no, I feel right? like if anyone has the worst grind, <laughs> it's stand-ups. Yeah, comics have it the worst. You're right. But I, I feel like I can hack that only because it's on my terms. You know what I mean? Like, everything is on my terms. If I feel like I'm going to do an open mic, I'm going to do two open mics every single night this week, I will do them. If I suddenly say, fuck it, I don't want to do any of them. I don't have to. Um, and as you say, like, you know, I, I like how you put it, the stand-up is the writer, director, and editor, and all of that. It's like, yeah, that's absolutely what we are. It's like, and the deliverer. Mm-hmm. We're the ones who deliver it. And there's a lot of agency there. I think I like control. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's what it is. A lot of stand-ups struggle when they're trying to do improv. yeah but i love improv i don't like improv team but i like doing like set list Mm. mics yeah like that's why i like crowd work too you know there are some stand-up shows where like the crowd is just not with you at all doesn't matter how fucking great your writing is and how fucking good your jokes are you know, those jokes that 100% land everywhere. Mm -hmm. There's some rooms where they just don't fly because the crowd is just not on that level. So you have to adjust. And that adjustment is literally scrapping your entire act Mm -hmm. and only talking to them Mm -hmm. and figuring out a way to crack them up. And that's like, for me, I love that. I get a lot of joy out of that. I also get a lot of joy at like going, going to some of those mics where they just have like a bunch of words, like in a bucket and then you just pull out a word and then you just riff. I love that. So I like that kind of improv where it's just me. It's so crazy because like that's, those things give me so much anxiety. Really? Well, because you, you, you're just... You're flying blindly. But you're flying blindly when you're doing improv with the team, too. Yeah, but you're with the team. You oh. share the blame. You share the responsibility. Someone can take oh. the spotlight off you for a second, whereas if it's just you, it's like, oh. Yeah. Just you taking all the blame. <laughs> it's just you sitting there grinding your gears. Yeah. I did one of those um, uh, open mic riff things, whatever, and it uh-huh. went terribly. It went terribly. Really? Because the thing is, I'm also, I have a thing where I hate being, I don't like being a storyteller. Like, Because uh. I remember there's an improv 101, the exercise that they have you do to uh, generate ideas is monologues. And mm. I, I can't do that shit. I can't mm. tell I can't tell a succinct, interesting monologue off the top of my head based on a suggestion. It has hmm. to be premeditated or me bouncing off someone else's idea. Hmm. It's just it's too and then because I'll start either rambling or like, oh, oh wait, this story doesn't have a point or oh, it's a lot of half ideas and just I, I need time to work it out. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, with the set list stuff, it's like, I know that what I'm saying, not everything that I say is going to get a punchline. Mm-hmm. And if I start out and I feel like it's not 
I'm not interested, then I just say mm-hmm. pass. I just mm-hmm. ask for a different word or I go for a different word. Yeah. Um, it's usually like I follow the interest. Is that yeah. a thing in improv? Like I just follow whatever excites me most and gets me lit up. Because yeah. when I'm when I'm lit up, then I know it's gonna it's gonna be funny because I'm lit up already. Mm-hmm. So everybody's gonna have fun. But if it's yeah. like a boring ass idea or a boring, it's like a word that I just don't know or I'm not interested in, mm-hmm. I'm not inspired by, then I just say pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's interesting. You know, you know, like this is a common thing. I noticed this with you, with Sam O, with Will Hines. I noticed this with a lot of um, people who do sketch and improv. Um, and it's always like a fear of the alone part, the solo part. Cause it's crushing grace. <laughs> it's crushing. It's, yeah. It's like, but, whose fault is it? Well, who's on stage? Just me. Yeah. All right. Well, so what, what's wrong with that? I, I guess it's like, what's, I, I guess I'm over it. I'm like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Sometimes I eat shit and then it's like, I'll just go home and eat a bucket of other shit to try and alleviate. Yeah. It's just, it gets to the core of your being and. Oh, it's a horrible feeling. Yeah. But it's like wonderful too, in a way. That's why com- like standups when we're, you know, the back of the, the so-called back of the room, right? Like mm-hmm. we'll sit in the back of the room and if somebody's bombing, all of us are dying laughing. Or if somebody's not making any sense, or if somebody is like lose, like they keep bombing and they're nervous, you know, or if somebody starts heckling and they can't address the heckler, then all of us in the back of the room are hysterically laughing because we feel that we feel for them so intensely and closely. And yet it's like cathartically hilarious because we know that it happens to all of us. It could happen to any one of us. And I think in that regard, there's love there, you know, like I was trying to explain this idea to like a, like a guy I was dating and he was just like, you're mean. How can you laugh at somebody bombing? I was like, you don't get it, bro. You just don't get it. There's love. That's love. That's not mean spirited laughter. That's fully love when we're laughing. You know I what did, I mean? I, no. <laughs> and it's so interesting this is how a lot of stand-ups feel i feel like i feel this way when i talk to other stand-ups they they know what i'm talking about well you know okay. i to a certain degree if i see someone bombing yeah and if it's someone that i know or someone that i'm a fan of like yeah i don't know if my instinct is to laugh oh really but i find it so funny i don't know if i find it funny but like I don't know. I just. What's the feeling you get when you see somebody you know or admire bombing on stage? It's just um, understanding, I guess, because I know that they're working something out. Okay, got it. That's my thought on it. Yeah, yeah. It's like just pragmatic, under like industry understanding. It's like, oh, I know where they're at with this joke. Yeah, and then I think at one time I saw. I was interning at UCB and there was a stand-up show and this guy who's really funny was doing stand-up and then he did one joke where he lost the audience uh-huh. and then afterwards it was hard to get him back. <laughs> the thing is like, the thing is like, his the joke he did was a little blue, but I was like, I remember thinking like, that joke's funny, man. I hope you keep it. Yes, yes. That's another thing I love because comedy is so subjective, right? Like, yeah. uh, do, do you know Jackie Monahan? Mm-hmm. I love Jackie and 
she has an album, uh, These Lips, I think, Read These Lips or From These Lips. Um, and I was listening to it recently and she, f she filmed it and recorded it at the underground in Seattle, which is now closed, sadly. But that's where she um, recorded it. And I'm listening to this album and it's like amazing. Like her jokes are amazing, right? And you could hear the laughter either not being there or not meeting the register that I feel like that it deserves, you know, yeah. for each joke. And yeah. I felt immense hatred for th this audience. Like when they didn't mm -hmm. get it or when they weren't laughing, mm -hmm. I was like, they're so fucking stupid. Like I want to just get in their brains and like make them understand. But it's like, again, that, that's the thing you can't do, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. do that. You know, and that's the other thing. There's some jokes that are really hilarious to comedians because comedians are smart. Like we're, I would say, you know, in the in the t general social intelligence, comedians are kind of a level up because we just see things more, we get things more. In order mm -hmm. to say a punchline and understand a punchline, you have to be smart. You know, mm -hmm. so it's like some comics understand those jokes better than somebody yeah. who just doesn't think about jokes or doesn't think in that way at all. You know, so it's yeah. like, okay, I get it, I get it. And it's just like, man, you just, like, I, I sensed this sense of pity, I guess, or like there was like a sense of loss, you know? I was like, man, these are such fucking good jokes. I wish, you know, there was a, a bigger crowd or maybe a crowd on a different night or, you know, it, 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 like, I just, that feeling I felt. Yeah. It's, it's weird finding out uh, sometimes that uh, sometimes that you're smart. <laughs> Because, like, sometimes I'll talk about something, and it'll be something, like, I, in my opinion, is very mundane. Mm. Be like, oh, I was re-watching Frasier, and people be like, oh, I can't watch that. It's too smart. And I'm like, it's not. It's mm. really not. Right. And they'll be like, no, trust me, it is. And I'm like, that's it, life being you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think of myself as, like, as an Asian person, yeah. I'm very aware of how stupid I am. So interesting. I just um, whenever someone uh, makes it very clear that they're stupider than I am, it's just like, Ugh. yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to help you, buddy. <laughs> well, I yeah. Mean, my reaction mm -hmm. to stupid people sometimes is, you know, that rule: you could be stupid or you could be mean, but you can't be both. Hmm. I don't know that rule at all. <laughs> uh, well, apparently, a lot of people don't. Because I don't mind if people are stupid, but I do mind if they're, like, um, weirdly arrogant about it. About their stupidity? Yeah, like, they don't realize how stupid they uh, are. Or oh, you mean... Oh, shit. What the fuck was that? It was really loud. Oh, it's okay. It's fine. Uh, there was, like, some really loud noise. It just scared the shit out of me. Um, is it kind of like, maybe, I don't like Donald Trump, for instance, like, stupidity and aggression? Yeah, or like, um, um, sort of that kind of attitude. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, well, I was listening to uh, this. I guess it's like a meditation session. Do you know this woman, Tara Brock? Mm -mm. 
Okay, there's this woman named Tara Brock. She's like a psychotherapist and she's like a healer and she talks a lot about radical self-compassion. And I was just kind of listening to this session. It's like four different recordings and I was just kind of listening to it all at once. And one of the opening things she said was, our society is built very much to accommodate and uh, praise the analytical thinking the hard sciences, the math, the STEM fields, like that shit. And she was like, in a society that does that, imagine how many people there are that feel stupid because society doesn't uphold their values or their talents, right? Mm -hmm. Which is people like us, like you and me, the ones who are sensitive, more about affect and feeling, about intuition, about creativity, about writing, about art, about creation, about ideas, about expression, modes of expression, methods of expression, da-da-da-da-da, right? Mm -hmm. People like that. And, and she was like, Im imagine how stupid those people feel. Like you said, you were like, mm -hmm. as an Asian person, I'm aware of how stupid I am. Mm -hmm. And when she, when I heard her say that, heard her say, imagine how many people there are that feel stupid because of where the society emphasizes points of value. And I started hysterically crying for like, I don't know, like 10, 15 minutes. And I realized one of my core beliefs is that I'm stupid. I realized that I have this core belief in me. I didn't know I have it, but I have it. It's in there. It's embedded into me. It was put into me by somebody, a parent, a teacher, a friend whomever and this country. this the whole country the nation the society the community and this feeling is it permeates even more deeply because i am not of this country i moved to this country as an immigrant as a child i did not speak the language i did not understand the culture and then there are all these in-between things that you have to navigate between two cultures right it's like trying to be korean or a Korean American in an American society versus American and trying to assimilate and da da da. So there are all these ambiguities and questions and whatever, right? So yeah, I felt like a constant clueless person throughout all of that. And whenever I would just do something and they would say, why are you doing that, you fucking idiot? Why would you say or do that? Why would you do it that way? Don't you have any common sense? And I realize, oh, I, th I fear, my fear is if I don't know something, my life will end. I will be shamed to the point of wanting to die or disappear. So this became a core fear and belief in me, a fear of lacking knowledge, mm. lacking knowledge on what to do, mm -hmm. um, a belief that I'm a fucking idiot, mm -hmm. a deep-seated belief. And that's why when I see people, anybody who I, in my mind, determine as quote unquote stupid, mm -hmm. I get immensely rageful mm. because I put so much pressure on myself to not be stupid, to yeah. always acquire knowledge and to be aware, to be self-aware, to be prepared as you do, right? You're like, I, I, need an hour, I need an hour to prepare. I have to ask questions. I have to prepare and I have to know the fucking story fully in my head before I go out into the world. Mm -hmm. It's like in my mind, I do that all the time. And so when I see somebody who hasn't prepared, I'm like, why didn't you fucking prepare? I did. Well, why didn't you? Right. So it becomes this rageful response, which is irrational. 
it's not rational to put the same amount of expectations and pressures on another individual that I put on myself. But it's impossible to not do that because I do that to myself. Well, I, you think, know? I think it's very, I think this is saying a lot about me. I think it's very rational because the thing is, I think this might be an Asian thing too. Uh, we're raised to believe if someone is caught acting stupid, it's okay to be horrible to them. And <laughs> it's, That's I know, funny. I know. But the thing is, if you were to say that to me now, I'm like, well, yeah, mm. they need to be punished. Mm-hmm. Like, cause in America, like stupidity, you correct it. But in Asian countries, if you fuck up or you make an embarrassment of yourself, you need to get punished it's not enough to correct it like you mm. you are going to learn physically mentally and spiritually why that was unacceptable and, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so i don't know it's it's tough for me because i feel like being a bully also runs in my genetics mm-hmm. and uh i think very frequently a lot of us are looking for an excuse to be horrible to someone and so when I see someone being stupid, I'm just like, oh, it's okay. We could we could totally take this person. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, just trash into filth. Yeah, I guess I'm on a different on a different path with that because for me it's like oh i don't agree with it i don't agree oh okay okay as long as you're aware no, of that because i don't, I don't think it's a healthy response no, yeah i don't well i don't agree with it either stupid that's the thing i don't think it's stupid i think it's like everybody we're always on a path to learning something new no matter what like i learned something new today you know like when i was i went and got windshield wipers replaced mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's something i've never done <laughs> i've never replaced my windshield wipers ever in my life i did it today and i did it like literally because one of them was like falling apart you know mm-hmm. and i got it done and it was like okay now i know how to do this i just bring it in and this is what what happens now i know mm-hmm. but it was something i have ne- i've never done before i was just acquiring new knowledge it's not that i'm stupid you know there are probably some people who can replace their own wipers and they're like yeah it's fucking easy you just buy it wherever and just stick it and it's done your stupid grace for not knowing how to fucking do that. Thank God nobody's saying that, you know? But it's like, I don't think it's about stupidity, really. It's almost like these words like stupid or smart, or they're starting to lose meaning in my world suddenly. The other day when I was telling you, I don't know if I told you this, but I was like, I was feeling kind of depressed for a little while. Like I was dealing with some depression for like a couple of weeks. And, you know, since I, I've, I've lived with depression a lot of my life. I know when it comes and I know when it's going to go. You know, I know that it's not going to stick around forever. So uh, you just kind of wait around for it to leave. But uh, when somebody, like I told them, I was like, oh, I don't feel depressed today. They were like, oh my God, yay. They were like kind of celebrating it. And I remember getting irritated because I was like, there's nothing wrong with being depressed a little bit. It's just my body and my mind processing something and needed to get through that. And now it's, now we're moving on but that was a necessary process so i almost felt annoyed at her qualifying depression as a negative thing well, which i i, 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 I don't just do interpreting it like i think for them they were just celebrating that you were not in pain yeah I, yes i think so too yeah but so. it was more like in my mind it was like mm-hmm. depression is not a bad thing you know like this was like yeah. a new a new sort of emerging it was like, yeah. depression is not a bad thing. Like, why are you, you know? So it's mm-hmm. it's actually like a healthy, if anything, it's like a, 
a sign of healthiness for me in that in how I've come to ex- come to terms with my depression, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like I know when it comes, it's like there's something some change. Some there's room being made or space being made for, to accommodate something else that's coming in, you know? So it's just a matter of shifting perspectives, I guess. So anyway, that's that's what I've been doing, I suppose. So I'm starting to see depression differently. I'm starting to see the word stupidity differently. I'm starting to see the word intelligence and smart differently. You know, mm-hmm. it's like everybody has their own um, gift of intelligence. You know. Yeah, yeah. I'm a firm believer that everyone's smart in a way. Exactly. Like, there's just exactly. types of intelligence. Like my there's, sisters, there's yeah. smart. There's street smart. Yeah. There's exactly. people that are emotionally intelligent. Yeah, it's a huge one. There's people that are good at organizing their lives. There's people, yes. people that are good with Good animals. at being on time. Yeah. Yeah. People who are heroes. <laughs> people who are who are totally carefree like free from the burden of time, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all different kinds. But like for me, right now, what I'm struggling with, and let me get your opinion on this. Um, so I have this friend who we're we're good friends. Um, I was in a state of pain last month and I reached out to a lot of people for help, as you know, with the film and he ignored my email and that got stuck in my craw and there was no explanation really. Well, I think I totally get where you're coming from because as someone, every single time I try to put a show or shoot together, it's always a goddamn nightmare. And yeah. it's really hard not to take it personally when someone like either says no or just doesn't respond to something. Mm. Like it, it feels like they're saying "fuck you," mm-hmm. but in reality, it's just so many things can happen. Like uh, you have no idea what's going on with their life. Mm-hmm. And maybe I know some people are like, "I don't want to burden other people with my bullshit, so I'm going to keep it to myself." Yeah. So. I think uh, not getting a response from somebody is like, I don't know. For me, that's a huge violation. For me, that's like. Well, it's a faux pas. Is it? Yeah, it, yeah. it is. Yeah, I, I, I know how you feel because I, I have I have the same thing where I'm like, I'd rather you say no than not respond. Yeah, I agree. I'm more on board with that because it's communication. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas ignoring is like not communication. It's just. I don't know. It's like a form of mental torture. It's like, it's what am I supposed to? Yeah. How am I supposed to read this? Yeah. Yeah. Like you either like it leaves you wondering, and it and sometimes it could just feel dismissive. Yeah. And sometimes it could just feel like a form of ghosting. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of ghosting. So. Unless yeah, I'm someone, not either. Unless someone's really being shitty, I don't. Yeah. And even yeah, then, I'd much rather tell them off. I mean, there's like, you know, there are ways to handle things like when it's time to end, right? But it's mm-hmm. like, I think for me, that's a big um, deal breaker is like not being responsive mm-hmm. is a big deal breaker. Like there are people I just don't talk to anymore because of that. Yeah. Because yeah. to me, it's like similar to the time thing, except it's more offensive because eventually with the time thing, like they're just late, they're going to show up yeah. and you're just annoyed that they were late. And they put you through this sort of mental 
possibility that they might not show up. I think that's yeah. the anguish. That's the pain that I have to deal with. And then, and then I'm angry now, now that they've arrived and they put me through that torture. Mm-hmm. But with like the not responding, it's mm-hmm. like a definite violation because there was just no showing up. There's just like a, a ball drop ball being dropped. There was an ignoring happening. There was a sense for me, it feels like abandonment for me. It feels like neglect for me. It feels like devaluement. Like I'm devaluing you. Not I, you're not even worth a response from me. Mm-hmm. You're not even worth an explanation from me. Mm-hmm. Get over it. Like that's to me, the communication mm-hmm. and it feels like a huge disrespect. And so I think that's why I'm having a hard time shaking this. Yeah, it's like last year I had to let go of somebody because of something similar, but it was a lot more amped up because it was like COVID was full on and like, I thought he was dead. I literally thought he got COVID and died. So it put me in this panic attack mode. This time, it was really horrible. And when I tried to explain it to him, he wasn't receptive to it. He didn't want to hear it. So I was like, okay, well, then I'm done with you. It's bye. It's over. Because like, I know some people that are like that. And when I'm like, dude, why didn't you say anything? And they're like, oh, I, I should have said something. Oh, like interesting. And I'm like, like, dude, yes. Mm. If someone sends you anything that seems remotely emotionally loaded, be like, well, I'm sure it'll work itself out. And I'm like, oh, because they can't deal with confrontation. They can't. They don't like confrontation. Um, well, nobody likes confrontation. I think it's just they don't have the tools to deal with it. They don't have the tools and nor do they want them. That's the big thing. They don't they really don't want them. And so they'd rather just you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's disappointing and frustrating, but that's just some people's state of being, I guess. That is. And what's something you really need to take into consideration is like I mean, I don't know how many mutual friends you have with this person, but they're probably like this with everyone, right? I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I think it's probably safe to say that they're like this with a lot of people in their lives. And I don't think you should be like, oh, this means this person feels that way about me. Like, uh, example, example. Yeah. Normally when someone's awkward towards me, if I have an awkward interaction with them, I'm like, I suck, I'm garbage, I'm stupid, why did I do that? But Mm. certain people, um, like Will Hines... Like, mm-hmm. if I have an awkward interaction with him, mm-hmm. I always am like, oh, Will, you freak. <laughs> yeah. Because I you know. You accept. Yeah. I know it's not me. I know it's all him. Mm. And I say that lovingly. Right, right. You accept him. I think I think he's great. Um, but I also know he's a little weirdo. And so if I have an interaction with him and he seems like short or off, it's not mm. like, oh, I hate you, and oh, why am I talking to you? It's a matter of like, well, time to be crazy somewhere else. Right, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, like if a like a if a dog that's randomly on the street comes near you, you're not gonna be like, oh my god, this dog. No, it's gonna be like, oh, there's a dog loose. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. That. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks it's for hearing like, me out. Mm-hmm. It's crazy because I started doing stand-up about 10 years ago, then stopped. And then Mm -hmm. I see a lot of those people from back then that are, like, working now and just killing it. And um, 
people, I hear people talk about them and they'd be like, oh my God, they're so great. And I'm like, I knew them when they were at the lowest point in their lives. Mm. They were not nice. Right. Yeah. So part of me was like, I had a, like a light bulb moment where I'm like, were people shitty or was I just around them during a really shitty point in their lives? Mm. Yeah. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's important too. You know, it's like, if you were around them when they were at a shitty point in their lives, like it's hard to see them differently, actually. Yeah. yeah. A, this, a, this is another friend I'm dealing with right now. Like the last time I spoke to him was almost, it was two years ago mm-hmm. and he was at a very low point, mm-hmm. but not doing much about it. But like the thing about him being at a low point was he was also dragging other people down with him, like yeah. emotionally, mentally, financially. It was like draining a lot of people around him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was included in that pile of people and I was really scarred by it. And it sort of made me see like, oh, like he's actually very selfish. Like he doesn't give a shit about anybody else. It's just him right now. Um, And so I distanced myself from him radically Mm -hmm. because I just didn't want to get caught up in his cycle of, you know, bullshit. I was just like, I don't want to get wrapped up in that nonsense anymore. Mm -hmm. And he's an addict, you know, he has like a lot of issues. So uh, I distanced myself radically and he's still like, you know, there's activity on my social media, like still trying to, engage me somehow you know Mm -hmm. but like i'm not taking the bait at all like because it's hard for me to unsee what i saw yeah unfortunately sadly sadly yeah yeah Yeah. well well, when i was saying about earlier i'm not saying like uh the shitty behavior people do like you have to excuse like you can absolutely cut these people out of your life Mm. and you usually should because i mean it's gonna take a toll on you but it's just i'm just saying like it it's not it's not really about you right you just happen to be in in the trail of a tornado (laughs) yeah Yeah. and you know even even like cut cut them off like it's not really about cutting them off it's more just like i have to really hard to cut people off it's it's almost an impossibility to cut people off it's like it's what it's more just like me making peace with letting them go like emotionally and mentally it's like i'm letting you yeah. go emotionally like you're or, no longer at arm's length right right like if i randomly bump into them out there in the world and they say they acknowledge me and i acknowledge them that'll be it mm-hmm. it will just be like you know two ships kind of passing each other i'm not gonna hang out you know i'm not gonna engage mm-hmm. most likely not because and again, like this is all is like a matter of balance, you know, it's like figuring out where, where is the line between I'm doing like I'm 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 grown and I'm expanding my boundaries and I'm accepting more people. I'm raising my tolerance threshold and da da da. How much of it is it that or how much of it is is it like, no, this is like there is a fine line. I mean, there is a line here and you have to protect yourself and you know make certain choices and decisions in order to protect yourself right it's it's always like this negotiation yeah but yeah all this is helpful thank you yeah Mm -hmm. um i want to get into some fun shit okay um so the show that i'm talking about on this episode is called it's okay that's love which Mm -hmm. is a it's like one it's actually one of my top 
top three Korean dramas of all time. Like I watched this one maybe like eight times already. I love this show. And uh, so I'll just ask you some like scenario questions and you just answer them as you would do if you were in their shoes or if you were that person. Okay. So let's say you're a hot, tall, sexy, dreamy, handsome, rich, novelist guy and radio DJ. Your name is Chang. <laughs> Your name is Chang Cheyeol. All right, you're hot shit. Everybody wants you. Uh, you meet a psychiatrist named Ji Hesu, and she's really fine. She's gorgeous, and you like her, but she doesn't like you because she thinks you're a pig. She thinks you're a chauvinist pig. She hates you. Well, she also I... has a she also has a boyfriend. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one day you see Hesu's boyfriend making out with another woman. Mm-hmm. What do you do? I don't know, because the thing is, like, if she already doesn't like me, she's yeah. definitely going to shoot the messenger. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess I'd have to concoct some sort of way to yeah. have her find out. Hmm. Hmm. But I also, I mean, if I'm a chauvinist pig, is it shitty to prey on someone or pursue someone that just got out of something shitty? Right. Right. That's a very good point. Yeah. Is this like, appropriate? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A question men don't ask a lot of the times. Is this appropriate? Well, I mean... Because <laughs> for them, when is something appropriate? <laughs> like, I think it's different when you can literally pee anywhere. You don't think about, <laughs> is this appropriate? <laughs> Whereas with women, <laughs> like we need special circumstances. I know so much goes into just like urinating with the vagina. Why? It's like so, it's a whole thing. You need shelter, you need toilet paper, you need water, you need running water, you need a trash bin, you know, in case you got, you got tampons and pads or panty liners or whatever it's a whole thing but like yeah cocks they could just whip them out piss wherever you're right yeah you could do it while on a moving bus it's crazy (laughs) it's just like so i think for them everything's so much more like i didn't even have to sit down (laughs) whereas with women they're like oh it just what does it say about me like right gotta stop everything right 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 Right. Just to pee, women got to stop everything. And they got to go into a different... Deconstruct your clothing to do it. (laughs) Yeah, put a purse or a bag somewhere. A whole thing. A whole thing. They they have to walk many, many footsteps to a a secluded location Mm -hmm. where they can undress and get their business taken care of. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 Wow, that's such a good point. That's genius. Yeah, Thank there should you. be a whole anthropological study based on just genitals, pissing habits, and the inequities of society. Like, I see that as an anthropological dissertation already. <laughs> well, it's just like, because think about it. If you had to bleed once a month, uncontrollably, it's it's going to affect your state of mind after a while. Oh, my God. Everything, everything, everything about a, a female body is like that. It's like, you know, we get 
used to discomfort from such a young age. Remember, like training bras when breasts mm-hmm. first start coming, you wear training bras. How uncomfortable was a bra when you first started wearing it? It's like, what is this shit on my body? It's like you know puppies when you see puppies like and you put a collar on them for the first time, they freak out because they're like, what the hell is this bullshit around my neck? Mm-hmm. And it's something they eventually have to get used to, and then you know they become collar trained and leash trained. Mm-hmm. Women women's bodies are the same way as girls we had to wear fucking training bras and then put on bras and it's like it always causes back pain it always causes shoulder pain it always causes like little marks on my fucking skin but it's something society says you have to wear so we have to fucking wear them so we get used to it right Mm -hmm. it's like our whole lives yeah yeah i think men should be required to wear jock straps if we have (laughs) yeah strap them down yeah at all times all times yeah it doesn't matter how hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome. I love these. Okay, okay, okay. So let's say uh, you're Hesu. You're this hotshot doctor, big university hospital in Seoul, okay? okay? You have a disorder. You have a mental disorder called sex phobia, where you attribute any physical intimacy with fear, shame, guilt, and anxiety because of a past trauma. And because of this, it's hard for you to be close to any partners in a relationship because physical intimacy is too triggering for you. So you always have to go extremely slow, even to hold hands, even a kiss. It's like it's a it's a whole thing. So the boyfriend who cheated on you tells you that he cheated on you because he couldn't stand waiting around for somebody as frigid as you. What do you do? Um, I'm a doctor. Yeah, psychiatrist. Um, I would tell him, have fun with the clap. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, having issues with sex uh, is a legitimate thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know why you would be all like, I just don't know why you're being so frigid. Mm. <laughs> right. Like, I have PTSD. Yeah. You know, watch a movie. Okay. Like it's just, it's hard. Right. So I would be like, well, bye then. Mm. Yeah. And find someone who also enjoys taking it slow. And, um, well, obviously, well, for me, I'm very sexually driven, so I'd be like, well, we're, this is getting fixed now. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm on Prozac, and I was considering, I keep considering going off of it because it makes it harder for you to come when you're on it. Yeah, I heard that about antidepressants, yeah. Yeah, and so I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I'm balanced, but am I living life to the fullest? so as someone who's very sexually driven like dating and not having any sort of physical intimacy is like nightmarish to me Mm -hmm. um my love language is like all of them i need all Mm -hmm. of them like if i'm not getting affirmations if i'm not getting touch if i'm not getting time i'm Mm -hmm. just like something you know right so yeah if this guy is like i can't wait around for you and i'm like first of all dick so just no. Yeah. And so yeah, just just find someone else, and then like, and for me, I'm like, even masturbating, I'm like, there's, 
there's a whole world there you're missing out on. Yeah. It's the best sex you'll ever have. It's really having sex with the person who knows your body the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what masturbation leave is. You alone. <laughs> that's, just... that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. There's no pressure for anything afterwards. Well, yeah. I, I physically, I think it's because of the way my shoulders are built, but I don't like. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm hot. Get off me. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. Like, I don't like cuddling you because of my shoulders. <laughs> it's like that's a hard one to get the, to understand, but it's like, but that's the truth. Well, it's the I, genuine truth. It's my fucking shoulders. <laughs> I can't sleep on my side because my shoulders are too wide, and mm. that's probably why I'm not going to enjoy spooning or some nonsense. And if right, you are right. going to spoon, I'm going to have to be the outside spoon. Yeah, because I'm like, I I already get way too hot when I'm sleeping, so I'm just going to be like, get your fucking hands off me. <laughs> yeah yeah there we should have like a each person should come with a booklet you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like a manual like a sex manual yeah absolutely like they're like a power bottom hate spooning (laughs) right hate cuddling but loves you know i don't know shoulder rubs like whatever it is like whatever it is it's just Mm -hmm. yeah you know how like when when you're about to like pet like get Get, give your pets to somebody for pet sitting there's like all these instructions yeah mm-hmm. each person should have their own kind of manual sex manual oh, okay absolutely. yeah okay let's say you're a Taya, all right the the hotshot novelist guy okay mm-hmm. you meet a high school boy named kwangu and he lives with his mom and an abusive father alcoholic father mm-hmm. and the mom gets her ass beaten all the time by by your mm-hmm. dad all right i mean by his dad and he tells you that you're his like favorite writer of all time like he wants to be like you in the future right and you're like okay okay got a kid and you you drive this boy home to his house and right outside his house you see his mother getting beaten by this alcoholic husband and kwang runs over to tend to his mother and then kwang was also getting his ass beaten what do you do um i would bum rush the dad Mm. um Probably start wailing on the dad. Uh, I would offer them to stay with me. Mm-hmm. But that's me. I yeah. Yeah. I know DV is a big old issue in any household. Mm-hmm. And so I already know that the mom might not want to leave. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I would definitely be like, if you want, you could just, I have a spare bedroom. Mm. Offer shelter. Okay, that's mm-hmm. kind of you. That's generous of you. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, because okay. like, I just, I, I know enough about it to be like, this person probably, they, well, abusers, they isolate their victims. So yeah. they have no resources to go to. Mm-hmm. Like, they won't let them talk to their families. They won't let them have friends. They mm-hmm. control all the finances. Mm-hmm. So if they go out, they have nothing. So I'd be like, okay, well, then you're going to stay with me then. Right. Offer help. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Like, I know some people would be like, oh, I'm not going to get involved. But my thing is, like, I think the idea of a father figure uh, beating up his own family is so triggering for me yeah that it would hard it would be hard for me not to feel 
a lot of empathy. Right. Um, it'll be hard for you to ignore it. Yeah, it'll be hard for me to just drive away. Right. I understand. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say you're Hesu, the psychiatrist woman. Mm-hmm. You and Cheyo, mm-hmm. the novelist guy, you guys go on a trip. And it just happens so that you have to stay the night. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't sleep together. You sleep in separate rooms, but you have to spend the night. When you wake up in the morning and you're looking for him, you don't see him anywhere. And uh, you go to the bathroom. And when you open it, you see him on the bathroom floor and he's sleeping. Mm -hmm. He's sweating a little bit. He's frowning and he's sleeping on the bathroom floor. And later he tells you that he can't sleep anywhere except for a bathroom. Like that's where he sleeps. Even at home, he sleeps in his bathroom. And it's because of a past trauma. What do you do? I'm a psychiatrist, he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, obviously, this person needs to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. And then I... Yeah, just you can't be sleeping on the bathroom floor. Mm. Like, I mean, to each their own. But I'm like, I, I need the bathroom sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna be like, can you wait outside for however long that I need? No, <laughs> absolutely not. Right, eight hours locked in the bathroom to sleep, and you're like, what if you have to take a midnight shit or got to yeah. barf? Yeah, as someone who. For me, the bathroom is like a sacred safe space. And if someone fucks <laughs> yeah. with that, I'm just like, no, you gotta go. You gotta go now. Now, 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 now. Okay, so it might be a deal breaker for you. Yeah, okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. So let's say you're the same woman. Mm-hmm. You're dating this guy now, Cheo. All right? Mm-hmm. And your boyfriend talks all the time about this kid, Kwangu, the kid that was getting beat up, his mom getting beat up and all that. He talks about him all the time. But you've never met him. You've never met this kid in person. And one day, your psychiatrist colleagues tells you that Cheol is schizophrenic and that Kwangu is a person that Cheol made up in his mind in order to cope with his childhood traumas. What do you do? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I don't know. I just, like, because the thing is, like, what are you supposed to do? Like, confront them? What are they going to say? Yeah, you're right. I'm a crazy. Dude, one time in high school, I used to sit at lunch with this, this group of girls, and this one chick, she would never stop talking about her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then one day in science class, science mm-hmm. was right after lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, oh, so-and-so is so annoying. She never stops talking about her boyfriend. And the, this girl was, who was a mutual friend was like, she doesn't have a boyfriend. Hmm. She, and I mentioned this one guy and she's like, she barely knows him. Wow. Yeah. And then the next day at lunch, she was not there. And I was <gasps> like, girl did not want to answer any questions. Wow. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that all of us create our own realities that we choose to live in? Yeah. Yeah. 
but some people just get a little too creative with theirs. <laughs> but yeah, if I found out someone that I was dating was consistently talking about someone that was not real. Right. I mean, because that's psychosis. It is. It's schizophrenia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm just like, okay, well, you have to 5150 this guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no two ways about it. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Like, burst in and be like, you lied to me. <laughs> it's absolutely insanity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, there's no way about it. Like, yeah. No, no. Crazy is crazy. Right, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're still this woman, Hisu, okay? You have a father, you have a mom, a dad, you have a, an older sister, okay? Mm -hmm. Your family's very poor. Um, your father suffered a stroke many years ago when you were like a teenager, and his brain activity is like that of a three-year-old. He can't walk, he can't speak. He's a severe financial burden on your entire family, but what do you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Mm -hmm. Your mom, who used to love your boyfriend because he's rich and he's successful and he's handsome and whatever, she finds out that your boyfriend has this mental disability and she slaps your face, telling you to break up with him immediately. What do you do? Why, why did she slap me? Because it's like her, the mother's rationale was you should know better. You know what it's like to live with a man who's sick. How can you go and do the same thing with your life? Like that's her rationale. I mean, well, first I'd be like, why did you slap me? Mm. And I just, I don't know. Well, first of all, he's rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Rich, rich people aren't crazy. They're eccentric. <laughs> you get that live-in nurse <laughs> and get that shit covered. <laughs> right. Sorry, the dating pool for rich, handsome men <laughs> ran out of sane ones. Yeah, we're at the bottom bottom of the barrel. Yeah, so, there's so only a couple I, left. I'd be like, you do know he's rich, right? Yeah. You want to take like, that slap back now? Exactly. Like it's like it was, there was just two. It's like a schizophrenic one, and then like a serial killer. I chose the schizophrenic one. Like I feel like I made the better decision here. Well, for serial killer, there's not even a matter of choice in that. I'd be like, that that's going to sort itself out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I just, mom, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. You, you mom, don't shut stay up. In the mansion? You don't have to. Yeah. Just live apart from the mansion. Never come over. It's all you, you got to do. You can live in the guest house. <laughs> Like my it has a pool. Yeah, my man be schizo, but his money's definitely real. His money's so real. His money's yeah. nothing like Kwangu. It is real. I feel it. I yeah. see it. I live I, it. I've met the money. The money's very <laughs> I touched it. I yeah. smelled it. Yeah. yeah. I bought a lot of bags with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what sells mental illness, Mom? Money. <laughs> money, 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 money. Okay? So, what are you... It's hilarious okay i love that i love that you also i love that you also said why did you hit me you know like because i 
you know, like slapping is such a thing, like a soap opera thing. It's yeah, such a K yeah. drama gimmick. Yeah. And every, like in almost every single one of these, like, uh, flashcard questions, a, a hitting moment always comes up. And nobody has ever questioned the slap. They just kind of skip over that part and just think of the next step. But I love that you took the time to question that and be like, why did you slap me? It's so important. It's such a weird hysterical response. And I'm just, I'm not right. going to let that shit go. Right. Your daughter. Go. Yeah. Your daughter just got hit with some bad news, some sad news. And you're going to go and hit her? <laughs> yeah. Like, I hate also Korean soap operas. They have this thing where, I don't know if it's just an old school thing where even if a bad thing happens to a woman, like yeah. she gets punished. Yeah. Like you yes. By, like you got hit by a boulder. How dare you? <laughs> How dare? And that's this weird thing where I'm just like I I can't handle the the lack of logic here. It's just killing me. I know the lack of logic is huge for me. Like with my K drama book right now that I'm working on, I'm writing this one chapter called Orphans and Leukemia because there's so many orphans and leukemia in K dramas. And I'm just kind of writing out like the things that happens to a female protagonist. And it's just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like she's so upright and moral. Why does the narrative continuously punish her? Like every step of the way, every episode, punish, 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 punish. And then they kill her off. Yeah. It's like, what was the point of that when she was so upright and moral? Are you just saying, don't be this upright and moral? Because your fate is determined as you fucking getting cancer and dying anyway, you know? It's almost right. illogical. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess, our version of true crime. <laughs> like, so the thing is, like, the more upstanding they are, the more, like, when something bad happens, be like, oh, so tragic. So, 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 so. Right. The sadder it is because you're just like, no. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. It's a it's a device. It well, is. Also, like, I remember, did you ever hear this saying? I think my sister told it to me. Like, a woman's duty is to suffer. What? Jesus. Yeah, I know. I think I read in a book somewhere, too, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> I reject that statement completely. No. Whoever said that, no. no yeah, no. Dumb. There's no such thing as duty to suffer. That's like, no, that's not your job. That's nobody's yeah. job to suffer. But apparently they think it is. Like, our duty is to put up with shit and just being like, you know what? Someone's got to take this rage. Well, and the I people just, people yeah. who think that, they complain the most. Of course. Like, uh, mother, you know, like um, unhappy mothers-in-law, you know, mm -hmm. they're very unhappy because they lived their whole lives being, you know, taking shit. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, when they when it's time for their them to be the matriarch, they yeah. decide to be the shittiest matriarch because it's like, well, they had to deal with a lot of shit. It's time for the new one to also go through what I went through, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's similar to the whole, um, you know, me me saying like, oh, like I feel stupid, and then me mm -hmm. coming down hard on person I I judge as stupid. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like whatever battles you're dealing with internally or abuses you're putting onto yourself, you're always projecting them outwards as well. That's why the self-healing thing is so important. It's like, mm -hmm. it's not just you, it's everybody around you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And just like everyone have, has like, I don't know, like, like an ax to grind and it's just, I, right. <sighs> yes. Yes. A woman's duty is not to suffer. Let's put that out there now. That is not, anybody's job <laughs> no also 
also, why is just one person so? Yeah. You could share it. <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes life is just a bitch. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I, I'm not taking your shit. No, there's no need for it. Mm -hmm. I love that. All right, last one. This one's not too complicated. Okay, so you're you're uh, Cheyar, the the novelist guy. Okay, to you, this Kwangu kid, he's always there. He's in the room with you at all times. He's always he's always in front of you. He's always talking to you. You can touch him. He's always he's so real to you, right? But you're at the hospital, and everybody around you tells you that he's not real. You just don't understand why you're at the hospital. You don't understand why people are saying he's not real when to you he is crystal clear real tangibly real what do you do so people are trying to convince me that there's a person that i think is real isn't real yes so okay but he's not real is he real or is he not real he's not real he is, i mean cheo is schizophrenic and okay. this kid is a figment of his imagination but no. Taylor doesn't know that. To him, the Kwangu is as real as as this phone in my hand. It's so real mm -hmm. to him. Yeah. Well, I guess I would have to <laughs> do what they did in A Beautiful Mind and being like, how long has he, have you been this kid? <laughs> and being like, they don't age, do they? <laughs> have you ever seen them age? They don't age. How old are you? Five. Oh, my God. It's been 10 years and you've been five? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my god! You want to know what's hilarious? Mm -hmm. So that that's the beautiful mind escape, right? For John Nash, in this show, it's the same exact resolution. <laughs> so like, uh, Hesu is standing with Cheo, and Cheo is like, "No, like Kwangu's real. I'm telling you, he's real." And then Hesu says, "With every imagined uh, being, there's always something, some detail about them." that is inconsistent with the other reality that we live in. Mm -hmm. And then what he notices is that Cheo is always barefoot, no matter what, he's always barefoot. And he's been a sophomore in high school for the last like five years. Mm -hmm. And that's when he's like, oh shit, you're right. He's not real. Mm -hmm. That's how he snaps out of it. It's like the same formula as A Beautiful Mind. I was like, mm -hmm. that's the downside. I'm like, oh, this is a copycat moment. Or maybe that really is how a lot of or, schizophrenic maybe, patients maybe snap out of it. That's how they do it. Because, exactly. I mean, it'd be crazy yeah. if hallucinations did age with time. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah. Wow, yeah. That's actually wild. Imagine that, right? Like, your hallucination actually does in correlate to real time and does age. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, there's no convincing in that case. Mm -mm. <laughs> like, what's the outcome? Where is the, the, the exit in that? How do we come out of that? You know? Yeah. And then it's got to be awkward afterwards when you're talking to your hallucination. Like, so I heard you're not real. <laughs> <laughs> they're these guys. They're telling me that you're fake, that I made mm -hmm. you up. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's wild. Okay, yeah. I love this. This was hilarious. Thank you. <laughs> it's always a joy talking to you. Oh, thank you. I love talking to you too.